Dying for Media. Just a little note to let you know that we will be talking about death in this series, and some names and information have been changed. Talking about death is never comfortable, but our goal is to make it less scary. So maybe give it a try and listen with care. I miss Peggy. I miss Nikki. I missed you. I missed you too. Who are you? Oh, well, I'm great. I'm so good. Like right now, I'm good. Okay. But I had a a really terrifying experience Uh, last week. Oh. I thought I was going to die. What? I thought I was dying. What happened? I actually thought of you. Oh. Um, I have never in my life felt like I was about to die ever until last week. So, whew, flying home from Mexico from a beautiful vacation, Tommy and I went to Puerto Vallarta. It was lovely. Nice. Flying back into Los Angeles. The airplane is getting ready to land, right? After a long day of travel. Yeah. And as we are getting ready to hit the ground, I could feel, you know, you can know you can sense when the uh, the wheels are coming out and you're like, all right. Right. The plane tilts straight up and goes way back up into the air and back over the ocean. No one is saying anything. Tommy and I are grabbing onto each other. The girl next to Tommy was like a 14-year-old girl and she grabs Tommy and looks at him and goes, is this normal? And we're like, no, no, this is not normal. And my life... I'm not kidding. My life flashed before my eyes. That all those flashes of like, but, yeah, I didn't get that to everyone call. talks about, yeah, right? I didn't yeah. get to call anybody. I was Aww. so grateful. I was with Tommy. I thought about like my brother. I thought about my aunts and uncles and my cousins. And I was like, oh my god, do do I call? Like, do I pick up the phone? What do we? Do? And my heart was in my throat, and we were just clenching onto each other's hands and looking at each other and didn't know what to do. And then we sort of went back over the ocean and kind of chilled out for a second. And then I thought, oh, we're we're gonna go down in the ocean. Oh my gosh. Which is my biggest one of my biggest fears is drowning. So oh. I was like, oh, this is the oh, this is how it happens. Right? Oh 95% of me was terrified. And there was five percent of me that said, Oh, oh, this is how oh, this is how it's happening. Oh, this is how I die. Oh my gosh. Like you were almost res- like resolved a to little it? bit. Or like, mm-hmm. <gasps> like what oh. am I gonna do? I did have a major fear about falling into the ocean and like freezing, being so cold, right? Being like, f- and then drowning, which is <laughs> like, my, I've got many fears, right? Many, many fears. Why did I laugh I at that? That's I, not, I'm like laughing at you saying, I'm like, oh no, like an evil person. No. Finally, the, uh, what's he called? What's that guy called? Pilot. <laughs> the little guy in the front of the See how rattled I am? Finally, the pilot comes on and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, sorry about that. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we just had a little malfunction. There was an actual plane on the runway as we were trying to land. Apparently, that's been happening a lot lately with air traffic control where there's miscommunication. But I, in that moment, I'm laughing and chuckling about it now, but I oh, swear, God, Peggy, no, I thought yeah. I was ready to die. And it actually made me think of you and think of our conversations that we're having. And I feel like there was fear. Because yeah, I can understand the fear of, of a sudden, tragic, plane crash, car accident, death. Yeah, yeah. But I think what I want to dig into with you today is, like, when you have the opportunity to have a slower, planned, processed, cherished death, mm-hmm. 
it's not always pretty. No. Um, but where that fear comes from mm. in people. The fear of being with somebody when they're going through that. Exactly. Or where does that come from? Because I yeah. look at it as, you know, we've talked yeah. about it privately, you and I, is how much of a privilege it is it's to be with someone when they die. Yeah. It's an incredible so thing how, to witness. I guess I'm wrapping my brain around how how you choose to not do that. Right. Because a sudden death is like, th- there ain't no time to choose. I thought I was going into the That's ocean. That's a whole different set of grieving, right? It's really complicated. So. Because you didn't, even if you were going to reconnect with that person or you had something to say and you thought you were kind of him and Han or whatever about it, then you actually never get that chance, right? What stops people from embracing that opportunity to be with somebody? When they have the luxury of time. What is that? I think I think it's really complex because there's so many different, you know, relationships are so nuanced. And so we don't always understand what that means to be present for somebody. You know, there could be resentment in childhood. There could have been abuse history, things like that, where a person is like, oh, you know what? I went through all this stuff and you weren't there for me and now you're dying and you want me at your bedside. You know I, what I mean? But I actually kind of understand that. I like, understand that too. Absolutely. I do too. The part I don't grasp is to choose to not be there with somebody mm. that you love and care about because you just have this weird sort of like almost unnamed fear of death that you, yeah. you I don't know why. You're just like, no, never. Yeah. I, I can't deal. Yeah. Oh. I'm thinking you're making me think of a really specific situation that was that. Actually, it was that. And I got to stay and be with this woman as she died. And it was incredible. It was incredible. I'm Nikki Boyer, and my friend Reverend Peggy has helped guide nearly 2,000 people through their last moments of life on Earth. Emotional, beautiful, peculiar, supernatural, shocking. These are those stories. This is Near Death. Here's the situation. This is, this is, I'm going back to it now. There was this woman like in her 60s. Let's call her Marilyn. Uh, Marilyn. And she had, um, she was on a machine that was like a bridge to a transplant. It was keeping her alive until the transplant would happen. And then the hope and the, you know, the yeah. ideal end of the story would be she'd get the transplant and then everything would be okay. Right. Well, while she was on this machine as hoping that she was going to get to that point, other things went wrong. Other things went wrong within her body, and the biology was not cooperating, right? Mm. So she ended up, uh, sadly, had to hear the news that she wasn't a candidate oh, anymore, right? Gosh. You're not a candidate for a transplant anymore. So that means this bridge is, th- this is it. It's not a bridge. This is where you're at. And this particular thing is not something you can stay on forever, you know, it's really designed to be a bridge, and it's not something you could stay on. God love them. The transplant patients go through so much. The, I mean, the ups and downs. Yeah, and I, and that's something we could dig into sometimes because you're also like, oftentimes you're waiting for somebody to die so you can live. Oh, my God. Right? That is such a paradox. It's a paradox. Oh, wow. You're like, I really want a heart. I really need a liver. I really need lungs. 
Um, but I understand what that means. I mean, someone needs to lose a heart. Someone has to lose a heart so I can live. So it's it's super loaded, and there's a lot of really complicated feelings because you're also like, oh my god, I'm feeling kind of guilty because I'm hoping that you know someone has so, something yeah, that I need tragic so I can get a new. You know, it's like it's so complicated. And it's so tender, and so people really have to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. I think it can be a very emotionally taxing situation right. to be on a list or waiting to be on a list. I never even thought about this. Yeah. And then, and then you know, we always hear these beautiful end stories of the donor getting, mm-hmm. you know, the don- this generous donor and the new life and stuff. But thinking about all those nuances up to that moment, there's so much going on. So much. There's so much going on. And she had been in this sort of limbo for a while and then decompensated, right? Her her biology, her body decompensated, and then now comes a time we're not able to do this. And so she actually coded. She actually went into a code. Um, so they okay. had to... What is exactly so what code does it is mean like a respiratory codes? or a cardiac code. So like you 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 have to be resuscitated to be brought back, right? So co- does coding mean you're dead? No, it means you're you're having an event. Okay. You're having like a respiratory or a heart, you know, um, a heart event. But like you can't recover so, from coding like just now. Like your body won't just naturally recover from that. It has to be medically. You need it. You okay. need an intervention, right? So they're going to need to. There's compressions yeah. on your heart. There's, um, there's, and I'm not medical again, right. so this is just from right. my experience. But they, um, there's things called pressors, which keep your blood pressure up and 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 bring you back. And they're medical. They're actually like, you know, they give it to you, like they give you a shot and through the IV and all this kind of stuff. So there's all these things that can that can help bring you back. The, when they say code and that like shocks you up, is that? Yeah, I'm talking from Grey's Anatomy. That's where I get my medical information from. I think where most people get their medical information from. But yeah. that's when you code, you get like, and it's quite traumatic. It isn't quite what the TV shows. No, it's I, pretty. I've seen. I've been at them. Yeah, oof. and um, she expressed she didn't want that. You know, she found out she wasn't going to be on this, and she was like really pretty ready to go. She was wrestling and then resolved. So she knew this is now the end. And how long do you want to stay on sort of this temporary, you know, intervention of this mm-hmm. machine, which is pretty invasive, you know, really, it's pretty invasive. So it's a, it's kind of a big deal, you know, and she was, and that would that be she... exchanged for a transplant, right? Like Got that'd it. be the bridge. So this is keeping you alive until we get to that. And then we replace it. So now you completely, you know, now you're just contained, the machines are off and you're just like almost a new life, a new, right? And a second chance at life. And that wasn't going to happen. Okay. She coded. She coded. And her son, God love him, um, said, you know, do something. And they intervened and they brought her back. Oh, no, 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 no. That's exactly what she didn't want. Yeah. So her son was the DPOA. And um, he made the call. And they, they did. They brought her back. And so I was called into this. And... It was a pretty tenuous situation. It was pretty tender because she was very upset. Mm-hmm. You know, she was like, I didn't want this to happen. And she felt like sort of her her own power was taken. Taken away. Yeah. 
And why do you think that he decided to do that? I mean, listen, I'm not shaming anybody. No, I don't exactly. know what it's like to be in that situation. Actually, right. I, actually, I do know what it's like to be in that situation. But anyway, I'm just, what I am saying is like, she made it clear what she wanted. He had a moment of panic and yeah. thought, help, help. Let's bring her back. Yeah. And we're all guilty of magical thinking, you know? Of course. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, she'll come back and then uh, things are going to get a little reversed and things will be okay. And then she'll get listed again, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and magical thinking. Magical thinking. So talk know? me through, like, kind of paint the picture of what, like, what happened in that moment when they brought her back and she realized that she was here. She was here and she was pissed. She just wasn't going to have it. I came in the room and it was very angsty, you know, like how they were both in there and she was just like, I'm, you know, I'm really ready to go. This is the news I've gotten. And I'm, I'm, I'm so tired. I want to go. Did she ever like say to him, like, I'm really frustrated with you or why did you bring me back? Or why didn't you just let me go? Like, did she ever have that conversation with him? Yeah. Yeah. She was, she, she was being very clear that she had wanted, had something like that happened. That to her, it was sort of, and I don't want to sound crass, but it was like, what's the point now, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, are we going to keep doing these things when I'm ready? She was beyond all the magical thinking. She was in the pure reality of it, and she was really prepared. And she knew her body that it was like, these other things are going wrong. I don't think when she was told, you're not going to get this transplant, she was that shocked. Right. She was sort of like, okay. So this means I'm I'm done. I don't want to be on this anymore. Did she look different after she was revived after being coded? Like she, she looked really tired. Yeah. She looked really tired. He was very upset and he he just didn't want to lose his mom and I get it. He didn't want to lose her and he was devastated. But she she was just like I'm done. This is what we're going to do and I want it to happen today. Oh. Yeah. Okay. She said I want this off me. I'm I'm done. You know, we're at the end of the road. We know, we know what's coming. I'm done. I want you I want the machines off today. And he said, "You know you're going to die, mom." And she said, "Yes, I do, and that's what I want." Oh. And I think that um the luxury of time thing we talked about. This wasn't like this drawn out time. It was this afternoon. So you and I are talking this clear, Nikki. Right. And all of a sudden, in two hours, you're gone. So they needed the reconciliation, and it was really intense. It's one thing to watch someone slowly deteriorate. Right. And even though that's its own version of pain and uncomfortable, it's still a slower process to, for me to be talking as clear as day to my mom and then two hours later make a decision and push a button and then she's gone. Yeah. So now I'm having this deep compassion for oh, the son and this understanding. Now I'm like, oh my god. I have the deep compassion for the son and I have oh. the and I have the incredible respect for this woman. So you have to hold both things at the it's same just, time. You just have to. That's a great way of looking at it. And it was so fascinating to me because she really didn't say she had any specific faith. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, I'm spiritual, but I was raised this way, but I'm not really. And she was so fierce and fearless. She was just like, I'm ready. You know, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And she said, let's do this, you know. And then it went to go to the docks. 
you know, and she was so grateful for all the care and everything. She wasn't like at all mad with the team. So when someone says I'm ready to go and you know, do you feel like the fire within you go, okay, this is when I, this is when I can be really of service in the room. I think I told the office that I'm, I'm not going to be able to see anyone else today. You knew. <laughs> yeah, you were I'm locked like, in. This is kind of, it's kind of an important situation, okay. you know, and I could see that it was uh, a little tenuous. You know, I wanted to be sort of this safe mediator. I wanted them to sort of have, if they felt comfortable having an exchange, to come to agreement that this is what's going to happen. Did it get there? Yeah, it did. How did he finally get it? Like, how do you think it, when was the moment it finally landed on him where he kind of surrendered a little bit to her? I mean, I think he just, you know, I was in the room when he said goodbye to her and just looked at her and he's like, I love you, mom. And and, I know I'm going to (laughs) cry. And he was holding her face and he was just like, I love you. I love you. She's like, I love you too, honey. I love. You. And she's she really softened. Like everything sort of fell. I could see she softened. I've been through a lot around death, but this that's really ooh, yeah. That just kind of it just huge. upsets me a yeah. lot. Right now, thinking about oh. like looking at somebody and having a full on conversation and then knowing, right, right, that's going to end with but the removal of a device or a machine. Yeah, yeah. That's really intense. So after they have their sort of like holding face, I love you, son moment, Yeah. what happened? Um, he said, I can't stay in here with this, mom. I can't oh. stay here while this happens. She said, that's okay. Oh, it's okay, you know? And he looked at me bawling and said, will you stay with her? Oh. And I looked at her, and Marilyn said, will you stay with me? Oh. And I said, of course. Of course. It would be my honor. I'll stay with you. And he goes, will you just tell me when everything's over? And then they had another sort of hug. She was just kind of chewing on him. Yeah. That's what you do. You're just chewing on him and smelling him. And you know everything you do to take in that person. Peggy. And then he went out into the waiting room. And that's when... The team began everything, you know, the comfort care process of slowly shutting that. Comfort care is when you choose to not do any more um, interventions, and now you're just focusing on the comfort of the patient. So we don't want people to have, you know, air hunger and anxiety and all these. We want to do everything we can, and there's so much great medicine to help people have a very comfortable passing when you're shutting off a machine that is keeping them alive. She's going to die as soon as that machine goes off. That was entirely keeping her alive, right? I talked to the team, and the team was aware that this was her wishes, you know, and they were they were going to shut down everything. And this poor resident, Nikki, he was so young. Oh, God. This poor guy that was going to be in charge of this day. He was just, he was just this lovely young guy kid that this was like, oh my gosh, it might have been his first death. And what a first death to have, right? What a first death. So the son went into the waiting room and I went back in the room with Marilyn. And that's when the tech and the nurse and they were going to come in and start shutting them down the machines. And what happened next was one of the most incredibly beautiful things I've ever witnessed. So I'm in the room with Marilyn, and the nurse is coming in, and 
going to shut down the machine very slowly. And she said, thank you for staying with me. And I stood right by her face and I held her hand. And I said, are you ready? And she said, I'm ready. And I said, are you afraid? And she said, no, I'm ready. I want to go. I said, what do you think you're going to see? And she said, I hope there's a pasta bar. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I loved. Of course, I laughed. Right, I laughed. And she said, I just want to see the ocean. And I said, I think think you'll, I think you'll get that. I think you'll get that. And then we were talking. We were just kind of incredibly oddly a little kind of small talk almost like you know um here comes the nurse and so we're i'm looking at her i'm right by her face and they start to shut things just a little bit down i'm like how you doing i'm looking at her and she just like all of a sudden there's just like this wash of gloriousness around like she just became so beautiful and she was looking to the side of me and looking around and looking at me and, and looking around and she's Becky, do you see do you see them? Oh my gosh, look at look at her. Oh hi, hi. And she was talking. <laughs> she's like, hi. Oh, she's so beautiful, Becky. Do you see her? I said, No, I don't see her. What do you see? And she's the angel, this angel. Oh my gosh, this angel's here, this angel. And she just kept more angels kept coming. Like she just kept looking around and she was totally seeing them, like clearly seeing them and then pulling me in because she wanted me to be able to experience this with her. She's like, do you see that? And she's like, oh my God, they're so beautiful. Hello, hello. She was like, was like melting in her bed, like totally, totally okay. Oh. Now more than okay, she was just like exalted, like so full of joy and beauty. She couldn't even explain it. She was like, oh my God, look at her. Oh, hi. Do you see that the whole room there? The room room is full. It's beautiful. They're here for me. They're here for me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. She's like thanking them for coming to walk her home. And I'm standing there like looking around the ICU going, oh, and I said, I'm so happy for you. This is beautiful. And I just let her keep going, you know. I, it, it's like watching somebody see something that beautiful is so stunning. It's such a privilege. It's it's hard. I'm trying to find, like, something comparable, and there really isn't. It was just the most beautiful thing. Well, she was dying. Why, she's dying. And then they kept slowing it down just a little bit more. And I said, okay. And then oh. she was talking to them oh. and welcoming them and thanking them. And, hello, oh, look at her, oh. You know, and she was holding my hand, and she was so strong <laughs> for someone dying. She was right. so strong. I'm like, whoa. But she really was trying to pull me into it, yeah. you know, and I was so grateful. And then I was like, just go, go with them, go with them. Oh, wonderful. They're here for you. Go with them. And she just put her head back and released because she was just up right and then she just released and this peace came over her and she looked like 20 years younger than she did <laughs> i mean in death she looked younger than she did you know <sighs> 20 minutes ago when she was talking clearly and it was incredible 
It was incredible. And I just went, wow, oh my gosh. And I came out and um, and I, I knew she was dead. Everything was gone on the machines. And, and I came out and I probably looked like Moses coming down from the mountain. <laughs> like my hair was, you know what I mean? My hair's back and my eye. I mean, like I've been hanging out with oh, angels. <laughs> I saw, you know, the burning bush. I saw God up. I mean, I must have been, right. I must have looked like you were a buzzing. lunatic. Uh, right. I must have, yeah, I looked like an absolute lunatic. Because I was fe- just like, did you full of. Did you feel the energy in there? Did you feel it angels? Was gorgeous in there. It was like, Nikki, it was like, you know, when you walk in somewhere and all of a sudden the lighting just changes out of nowhere and you go, oh, that's nice. Like I was in an ICU room that is so cold and sterile. And then when she was doing that, it felt like everything just changed. Mm. Like I went into a whole world that I had never been into before. And I was like, this is like, everything just was so gorgeous. And then I, I stepped out and that resident was standing behind the dad, like he was standing and I came up and I said, oh, my God, that was one of the most beautiful deaths I have ever experienced. And he looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> he was just like, oh, you know, like I didn't want him to feel like he had to even respond to that because how, what do you say to somebody that comes out and says that? And I said, someone needs to pronounce her. You know, I can't pronounce so someone need to go put, you know, check her vitals. So and, someone has to pronounce someone. Yeah. At yeah, a certain check time. Check her vitals okay. and then make a note of it and all that stuff. So it's like, someone go pronounce her. And they did. And uh, I went back in with the nurse and they sort of took things off, you yeah. know, and turned the machines off and the sounds and all that kind of stuff. And um, they just kind of rearranged her, you know, and just quaffed her a little bit. And then I went to get the son. And I went and found him. And he was still in the waiting room? He was in the waiting room, really anxious and very emotional, of course, you know. Mm. And I come out with that face. Right. You know. The glow. The the angel glow. The angel glow. I mean, I just, you know, came out of the most amazing spa in the world or something. And I I came out and I looked at him and he just went, is it done? Is she gone? I said, she is gone. But I want to tell you what happened in there. And I told him every detail. I mean, way more than I can remember now. But I told him every single detail, everything she said. And he was just bawling. Because he was like, the angels came. She saw the angels. I said, oh, my God. She said they were the most beautiful things she's ever seen. She had tears in her eyes. She was glowing. It was amazing. And I said, that was such a privilege to be with her, really. And then he's like, can I see her? You know. And then I walked him in there. And he looked at her and he was like, because oh, she looked really gorgeous. He noticed. He noticed. <sighs> and I said, she's safe, honey. She's safe. It's all true. She's safe. She had the most beautiful escorts. You know, she got escorted out of this life to the next one in the most fantastic way. And he was like, oh, oh thank you. You know, and, and then he was like kissing her and, oh, Peggy, you know, Mama, you I love that. you. I love you. I didn't. Angels did it. No, hold on. angels did it. I did nothing but We're going to have a moment here right now. <laughs> you gave her a safe space and you were one of those angels. I swear to you, you gave her something so comforting and you witnessed 
her dying, which is what she wanted. She didn't want to be alone. And she wasn't alone. She wasn't alone. What a privilege. And you you helped walk her home. I, I wanted to do that. And I think I said that to her. You know, I'd be happy to be here to walk you home. But, <sighs> but it was so... I just remember, like, I think... I, I think I'm done for today. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to go talk to that guy that's complaining about the soup or whatever. I'm going to go home. You know what I mean? I was just like, yeah, you're like, my work is done. Here. I think I'm, I think I'm done. You saw angels time to go. She home. was definitely the martini patient that day. <laughs> she was for a hundred percent sure. <laughs> and it's that thing too. It's like, I am super convinced. I mean, I am a hundred percent. There's no question in my mind that this is how. You know, the angels come, you know? Right. And she was spiritual, not super religious, right? You know when something's amazing and real, and then you get somebody goes, oh, yeah, it totally is. And you go, oh, thank you. Like, you get a confirmation. Mm -hmm. It was that, too. So it was kind of layered for me. It was all all of these things that I knew. It was like a validation it was like a privilege. What a gift. It too, was such a gift. To see someone see the angels. It's beyond anything we can imagine. Okay, so I have to ask though to the skeptics that may sure, say Sure. It was the drugs. It was the morphine. It was the like what do you say? I've seen a lot of people get morphine drips and I've never seen them see you know that weren't dying just mm-hmm. for pain control? And they've never seen them see angels. Really? They have relief from pain and they get a little drowsy, but I've never seen that. Um, and part of me too is like, you know, and it started so soon, you know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of drugs in her as when the angels were entering the room, it was like immediately right. in the beginning of the process. I think she was stepping in and opening. Whew. She was open to it. She's right. ready. So she was like, let him in, you know, within right. her spirit, like let him in. And I think that, um, for people that are like, it's the drugs or all that stuff. It's like, well, so what? Right. right. I, mean, I mean, like, okay, if it is, she saw she angels and she had a beautiful death. So, okay. Right. Does that make you feel better? I don't know. It's totally. Like, I have so much compassion for her son. I do too. Um, And I'm not shaming him at all. But I think he kind of missed out. Like on yeah. that experience in the room of all of that with his mom and I know we can only handle what we can handle, right? I know. Absolutely. But I have to say, Absolutely. like, I would have watched the angels. <laughs> I would have been right there. See? You wanted to run away. You would have stayed, and for I sure. I really, really hope that the conversations that you and I are having can cause people to go, well, what would I do? Well, maybe I will stay. Because I would hate to miss out on a moment like that because of fear. Right, right, like right. no judgment ever. No judgment ever, but I'm because just saying, like we said, there's a million nuances to every decision. Like, but yeah, I don't know. I'd much rather be in the room than in the waiting room. So, yeah, and I can actually really relate to this because, um, my dad passed away about 18 years ago. My sweet mm. dad died, and I had the privilege oh, of walking him home. Yay! I know. I want to hear this. even think I was aware enough to know that I was making the choice to walk him home, but I yeah. just knew I wasn't going to be in the waiting room, right? Right. So as fearful as I was about my dad dying, and I was devastated, yeah. um, I just also knew that I, 
I don't know what I was signing up for, but I knew I needed to be there. Uh huh. I don't know where I got the courage from. I just knew. I think the fear of missing out was bigger than the fear of what I was going to see. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. So my my sweet dad. Oh my god, I oh. love him. I miss him so much. He had stage four colon cancer. Oh wow. Which my tiny little brain at the time, I was just like, oh, what? I didn't know. I didn't really grasp it. Right. But stage four is colon cancer. Is, there's not a lot of recovery. Right. Right. There's For not, sure. There's, yeah. So I realized he was dying, but I didn't really grasp it. And this was 18 it. years ago. Exactly. So even more so, yeah. So we all thought we had more time. Yeah. We just did. We thought, okay, yeah. he'll he'll hang in there and... um. I very quickly in that nine months realized that he was very declining very rapidly. So I was on the road working. I was shooting a TV show about marriage, surprise marriage proposals on TLC. It was called Perfect Proposal. And I was off traveling the world, helping people get married. And I get a phone call from my mom that says it's, it's getting kind of bad. And I, I think you need to come home. He just had a surgery and wasn't recovering very well. So I left my job mm. and I came home and I probably was there for two or three weeks and my mom had decided to go to work for the day and I was with my dad. He was sitting in his blue cozy recliner chair right next to the old radiator in mm. our house. That was a space. That was where he rested and um, he buckled over in pain one day. And I was like, oh no, are you okay? And I hadn't seen that look on his face ever. Mm. And I, he said, do not call 911. I was like, oh gosh, dad, what? And then I noticed that like things were not looking good down there by his abdomen. And I said, dad, I have to cause a call my mom. I called my brother and I had to call 911 on my dad, which oh. while well, he's begging me not to, and yeah. like oh. that was awful. Oh, so ambulance comes, mom comes home. We all follow to go to the hospital and we get into the ER and it's, you know, curtains in between each tiny little bed. And he's, you know, they get him on some some pain meds to, to help him. And the doctor comes in and he says, I want to have a conversation with you. And my dad's sort of kind of out of it. Uh-huh. Um, he said, this is, the prognosis is not good. And we're looking at, at three to five. Mm. And I thought he meant years. Oh. Oh. <laughs> he meant days three to five days right Oof. like and i remember kind of going out of my body at that point point. Mm-hmm. and when the doctor said that my dad sort of popped up and said i'm good i'm fine and looks at all of us like oh. i'm fine like i don't want to keep going i don't want to keep oh, doing wow. this and then he said this i'll never forget it he said i wish i had something profound to say right now but i think I said it every day to each of you, and I love you. I love you all, and I'm ready. He was 50. Oh, my gosh, (sighs) Nikki. I know. 50. So young. And my dad looked at the doctor, and he said, I hear you. I I know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No pain. You got to promise me no pain. Yeah. Comfort. watching my mom react and watching my brother lose his shit. But I was watching my dad surrender, which was really... Right. And I thought, oh, I stopped being 
the daughter that was fighting, right? Right, right. And I just said, no, I'm just here to, to support this. I don't know, even know. The other half of me was having a full-fledged panic attack. I was like, sure. where's the, I need some drugs now. Yeah. But I wanted to fight. I wanted him to fight. But I realized in that moment, I realized it was bigger than all of us. So mm-hmm. um, I gave over and I realized that oh. he was in charge, right? Like yeah. he was yep. in charge. So they admitted him. Hospice came in. We admitted morphine. We did the whole thing. Mm. I was, there's a little, and yeah. I don't know if they still do this anymore, they but here, there's a personal, button you can yeah. press. Yeah. And so I was pressing the button to give him the morphine. I think that might be illegal. Is that illegal? No, it's, <laughs> you can press it as much as you want, but there's only going to dose so much. I was pressing that So it'll, go, it'll dose every and then it will wait. <laughs> right? And so you can sit there and do that all day, but it's not, it's going to wait for the appropriate dose. I think I knew that, but I just kept pressing it because right? I was like, I don't want him to be in pain. I don't want him to be in any pain. Um, and oh, so we honey. spent the next four days with friends and family and intense feelings and very intense conversations and watching oh, my mom, who was the love of his life, like just have these beautiful, tender moments of holding him and kissing yeah. him and loving him and giving him permission to go. And and then my mom reminded me of this moment recently. She goes, do you remember um, when you put your headphones from your iPod, remember iPods, yeah. and you, you put those in his ear. And I was like, I do. Oh my God. I forgot about that. I was in a, a band called super funk fantasy. That was like a disco oh, funk band back in my college name. days. My dad was always in the front row oh. and like singing and dancing and loving the oh. fact that I was in a band. So I put the iPod headphones in and I played super funk fantasy music in his ears and his eyebrows lifted. And he was smiling oh, and kind of like making, like kind of humming, like, oh. I was like, oh, he hears, he's oh, right there with us. He like, is. He is here. Yep, he's there. And, um. It's so sweet. I had, I just kept thinking, I don't think I consciously thought how much of a privilege it was, but looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I got this slow process of this goodbye and, and then. Four days after he was admitted, it was 2.32 in the morning, and my mom was holding him. My mom knew he was going to die. She said, he's ready. He's going to die soon. And my brother was in the waiting room taking a break. So I went to the waiting room. I got my brother. He came in. And um, a few minutes later, my dad's breath really slowed down. And then my mom said, he's going. He's going. And she said she felt him go through her body before he left and so like I was able to be there and watch my mom walk him home and I was there to walk him home and it was a really amazing privilege in my life and like I can't imagine not being there and I'm so glad I wasn't in the waiting room I'm so glad too and he wanted you guys there yeah and she felt him. That's so beautiful. Like his energy one yeah. last time needed to connect to her, right? Yes. To just love her as he passed on. So gorgeous, Nikki. Oh, sweet. Thanks for letting me share that. <laughs> I'm bawling over it. <laughs> When's that no, martini so coming? <laughs> um, I think we earned it. Uh, we super earned it. Oh, I know. I'm glad you weren't in the waiting room, too. I'm glad you were there for him. 
Yeah. He sounds like a really amazing guy. He's so he proud of you. How cute that he'd show up and dance, oh. sing. He sounds amazing. He was really 50's too cool. young. That's not fair. So, But you loved him I home. I just want to say... My throat's doing. You, yeah. never, you, you right. ever hear your throat go? Yeah. Emotional just, gurgles. Is yeah. that what they're called? Yeah. I've had you get them, like, like gassy when you're emotional. <laughs> well, not gassy that way. Gassy like burp. Yeah, I can. It keeps mm. coming up. I'm just. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that I got to have those moments. That it was, and it was messy, and it was uncomfortable, and there were family fights and Ugh, frustrations. Yeah. Like everyone's on edge, but. I got that slow process. It was a super privilege because that incredible love was there for you. Yeah. And that was super, it was very meaningful for him. I love that he said, I wish I had something profound to say. I know. You know, so he was kind of going into this simple, like receiving existence already. You know, like at the end, there's really all you can do is receive. Right. Some people get to a point where they can't even vocalize anything anymore. Right. But he listened to it the way he listened to your music and the way he responded to it. He was giving you as much as he could. Yeah. Right. Oh, I felt that. Yeah. But I do, I wanna I don't know, I don't wanna sound preachy, but like no, if anybody gets the opportunity to to be in that, it's I'm telling you, it's not comfortable. Yeah. But I just think it's such a beautiful thing to walk to help walk somebody home. Yeah. <sighs> And if I didn't do it, what I feel like I would be full of regret. So do you have yeah. any like advice for people around the, the privilege of death and walking people home? It's really, for me, I always want to go back to like the self-compassion of it. What, what do you, what do you need to do for yourself for this, like for this person? If you can be there, if you can't be there, be kind to yourself about it. Mm. If you can be there, be kind to yourself about it. Mm. Right, whatever you choose is going to be um, incredibly impactful and emotional. Whether you're two thousand miles away from them and you get the call, or if you're two inches from their face, right. so to really be kind and compassionate because you're witnessing an incredible moment, and you're you're witnessing the next step in somebody's existence. Right, you're yeah. they're letting go of this. And they're moving into somewhere else. But I do, I want to like sort of come back and say like, if your relationships with people aren't good and you need to protect yourself and you don't want to be there because it's, right. you don't want to, don't fucking go. Like, don't be there. Like, And take if, care of yourself absolutely. either way. And if you can, and it feels like it would be an incredible service to them and also to your spirit to be able to yeah. release that person, that's amazing. To be right there. I think it's great. And I think that's really beautiful advice. Um, so I'm going to be a little more harsh and say, okay. like, if you have... <laughs> you can be harsh. If you have a loving, safe relationship with somebody, mm -hmm. and there is a tiny sliver of you mm -hmm. that that is open to being in the room when someone yes. dies, they get your fucking ass in there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Do not fit I'm, in the I'm, room. I am on the choir with that. <laughs> I'm in the choir on that one for sure. But if it's not yeah. a relationship that feels safe and good and hasn't been, I mean, like let's not all pretend in death that we're all like all okay. You gotta, you gotta yeah. follow your own path. But... Everyone doesn't turn into a magical Mr. Rogers, amazing person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that is true. All of a sudden you're dying and you're like, I am an, you know, <laughs> I have become the most beautiful soul that I've ever like, lived. Nope. You're like, still creepy. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
but what a beautiful story with your dad and what you did for him and Thanks. you walked him home. I loved it. I wouldn't change. I mean, I I almost said I wouldn't change a thing about it. Well, you I changed wouldn't. that he's still alive. Exactly. But if, but if I that had to be it. the story, you put the ending on that story to make it beautiful. And he and my mom were just beautifully connected. And that was the one of the most profound things I've ever seen. And um, there was a moment when Molly was dying. And she said to me, because she knew my dad. And she mm. said, I hope this doesn't sound cheesy. But I hope that when I die... I find your dad and we can fly around and hold hands oh. and talk about how much we love you. Oh. <laughs> right? Oh. So sometimes I visualize that that's what they're doing. Oh. <laughs> May sound cheesy, but... No, it's gorgeous. I love it. It's beautiful. <sighs> I get so much pleasure watching you do this. <laughs> it's so fun. I love this part. <laughs> mm, thanks for being the bartender. I love it. Should we open a bar called Near Death? Let's do. <laughs> Lovely. Cheers to what? What do you want to cheers to? Mm, here's to your dad. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And cheers to angels. Here's to angels. And cheers to <gasps> if you can and if it works yeah. to not be in the waiting room. Don't be in the waiting room. Cheers. Cheers. This show is going to make me an alcoholic, swear to God. <laughs> hey, we super appreciate you listening today. And if you have a story or you want to share your thoughts, shoot me a DM at Nikki Boyer on Instagram. And if you like our show, give us a rating and a review. It really helps people find our show. And follow us wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, Near Death has bonus content where we get a little more personal at our martini after party. You should join us. For that bonus content, subscribe to Lemonada Premium in Apple Podcasts. In addition to all of the content that you'll get from our show, you can also unlock an array of bonus content from all the other Lemonada shows. Check out their free trial of Lemonada Premium today in the Apple Podcast app by clicking on the little lemon logo in the middle of the screen. It's so worth it. Near Death is a Dying for Media production. New episodes drop every Wednesday. This show is hosted by Reverend Peggy and me, Nikki Boyer. Producer is Katie Amanda Kane. Tommy Fields is head of audio for Dying for Media. Nikki Boyer and Kevin Sabi are executive producers for Dying for Media. Executive producer is Reverend Peggy. Ad sales and distribution by Lemonada Media. For more information on today's episode, check out our show notes. And thanks again so much for hanging with us today. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.